Welcome to Leading from Alignment, a weekly podcast from Converge Coaching, where our passion is to help you lead better, lead longer, and enjoy it more. Hello there. Welcome to another episode of Leading from Alignment with uh, John Opaluski. And today, John's going to be sharing with us some, some really great uh, understandings, tips, tricks, or what he calls hacks. Hacks, the, uh, the cheat codes of life in, in pastoral uh, living, pastoral ministry, to really help us to deal with what, what's going to be happening on a regular basis that's going to stress us and, and how he is teaching his clients how to deal with, uh, with those stresses when they happen. So good morning, John. How are you? Doing well, Jim. Good to be here. Good. Let's get right into it, man. I'm excited about this. I, I read the notes um, that you wrote on this, and I, this is the one that I, I think I'm, I've probably been the most excited about because it's a very practical way to deal with what happens in my in my life on a regular basis. So give us give us some understanding of what you're about to talk about here. So, Jim, if you've answered the call to pastoral ministry, you've signed up for a fulfilling journey, but a stressful journey. There's no way around that. Right. Um, and it's one thing to know what forces create and sustain stress in your life. It's quite another thing to know what to do about them. <laughs> uh, you know, so today I'd like to offer five practical cheat codes or, or hacks yeah. pastors can use to address uh, five specific stressors. Now, there's, there's 500 Right. stressors that pastors have. <laughs> That's too bad. I was hoping it was down to five and I would <laughs> No, but do. these are five of the most common ones, I guess, Yeah, that, uh, that pastors deal with. So when you think about the stresses that pastors deal with, what's the first thing that jumps out in your mind? What, what is the number one issue? Difficulty separating from work. Yeah. Uh, when I worked in the corporate world, I disconnected from my job as soon as my foot hit the sidewalk <laughs> outside our office building. Right. Uh, and then, and I worked in an industry, the IT industry, that was notorious for working nights mm-hmm. and weekends. And I was able to build the Great Wall of China between work and my personal life. Yeah. For pastors, disconnecting from work is not as clear cut, you know. Right. And they have to learn ways to intentionally flip that switch. Yeah. From work uh, to home, and uh, I think that's. That has got to be one of the biggest struggles pastors face, biggest stressors they face. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you do about that? You know, you're saying in the corporate world, you, you you take off one hat, you put on another hat, and you go home. But right. in ministry, it's, you know, grandma's in the hospital, and there's this emotional conflict between two of your leaders, and there's it, it isn't that simple. How do you, how do you, what's the life hack you'd suggest in that area? So, you know, the flipping of that switch or the flipping of that hat, Jim, is probably a little bit different for all leaders, but here's right. here's a hack that works for me, and that's add a little bit of boring. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lot of boring, a little bit of yeah. boring. Um, pastoring is very, can be very intense, and people problems are complex and weighty and... I think at times it feels like you're drowning yeah. uh, in dysfunction. So regularly injecting a little bit of boring into your week or into yeah. your day can help you gain separation. I, you know, I know this is true because when I drive to Ohio, and you know, once you get to a certain place, you don't need a steering wheel because there's no more turns. You, right. just, you just head south on 75. And I, I, I get the best sermon ideas. I, I get creative ways to bless my wife. I mm-hmm. start to, I, in that void, good things like God can speak into that void. I think my, my head is so noisy most of the time because I'm, I'm going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing and never really enjoying most of the things I'm doing. Right. Yeah. So so a couple of examples of that for, for uh, me is like you know, I'm not a great flower planner and I don't really – it's totally <laughs> boring. 
Yeah. But it is so distracting. I'm not thinking about anything important. You know. God. Let me guess. Laura likes planting flowers. She loves planting so two flowers. Two birds, same stone. <laughs> She's very fulfilled by that. For me, it's just a it's a mindless exercise that. <laughs> That injects a little bit of boring into yeah. my day. So yeah. so for some people, it might be playing golf or going to a museum or walking on a beach. I mean, none of those activities are scintillating. Right. They're, they're, they're right. boring. But a little bit of boring can distract you momentarily and help you detach yeah. from your ministry. Right on. Right on. What else you got for us? Uh, the second stressor, I think, is the wear and tear of spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. Um, I, every Christian wrestles with the devil from time to time, but for leaders, it seems to me that those wrestling matches are, are more numerous. Um, and again, how you address that stressor might vary from one leader to another, mm-hmm. but I think that the the wear and tear of spiritual warfare is underestimated as a stressor in the life of a leader. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a different level, isn't it? I mean, if you were the enemy trying to attack a church, you don't go after the newcomer as much as you go after the leader. Right. You try to cut the head off, if you will, and, and strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. That's right. So what's your life hack there? So here's one I found useful, and that's simply rest. Huh. And and you, you might be thinking, I fight back against the devil with rest? Right. <laughs> and that's, exa- but that's exactly what I'm, I'm saying. Yeah. You know, when we're exhausted, it's easier for us to believe Satan's lies. It is, yeah, absolutely true. Um, it lowers our defenses when we're tired. And, and Jim, I've lost count of the number of stupid things leaders have done because yeah. they're, they're exhausted yeah. and they're tired. Yeah. And uh, so learning how to rest better. And, I mean, there's a, a lot of things we could talk about there. I'm thinking of two, really. Mm-hmm. Sleep is one. Yeah. Um, multiple studies and researchers... They just keep coming out with uh, the same uh, level of importance when it comes yeah. to sleep, 68 hours a night. Uh, I had a guy tell me about 20 years ago, sleep is a disposable commodity. Wow. Is he still around? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but I do remember right. telling him that that might be the stupidest thing I have ever heard in my life. <laughs> You know, we should do an entire podcast on sleep. I think it's that important, and, and mm-hmm. that, like, like he was saying, no, I, I can I can sleep later when I'm dead. It's like stop. You're, you're when you look at the history of the great revivals of the church, the one common denominator of their failure, what once once the leader fell, why did they fall? What was behind it was a lack of sleep. Yeah. Sleep is is they just they, the revival's too important. My ministry's too important. I'm too important right. to sleep, and they burned out. And the revivals when they did, the revivals ended as well. Yeah. I think uh, there was a, a blogger, I can't remember his name, who said sleep, sleep is a secret weapon Yeah, for a leader. So yeah, that, that uh, rest is a really important hack to deal with this spiritual warfare stressor. Now, you, you talk about this in your book, right, Unshakable You. Is there some time dedicated to this? Absolutely. We, we spent almost an entire chapter on that in Unshakable You, five choices of emotionally healthy people. Yeah. And the uh, fourth choice is to refuel emotionally. And yeah. we spend a tremendous amount of time in that chapter talking about rest and sleep yeah. in greater detail. I think, you know, we think a life hack is, I didn't get sleep, but I got coffee. But the person that says that, yeah, you might be alert, but there's more that's happening in your body when you're sleeping than just sleeping. That's, that's correct. It's refueling, it's rebuilding, cellular, uh, brain function, all that's being reset during deep sleep. So if you only got four hours of sleep, but you got a pot of coffee, you, you may be alert enough to get through your day, but you're really damaging your, your physiology 
in the long run and your productivity. That's absolutely right. Yeah, crazy. And that's all in that book, right? I, I that's, that's right. where I got it from. That's right? correct, yes. So keep going. you got five and four. So we got two down. What's number three? Third one is uh, the third stressor is societal dysfunction. Uh, <laughs> I call that job security. Is that, is that a bad thing? <laughs> uh, Jim, uh, you see this, you know this, a tidal wave yeah. of our culture's mess is overrunning churches, and yeah. pastors often get swept up in yeah. the tsunami. Um, you know, if you have compassion for people, this flood of dysfunction can, can absolutely drown you. Yeah. And uh, so I, I think it's worse now than it ever has been in terms of the complexity yeah. and the sheer number of issues that pastors are expected to deal with on a, yeah. on a regular basis. Well, and the, the passion of the reaction if, if they disagree with your position biblically. Right. It's, it's you went from I disagree with you to some form of an animal. Uh, you know, you're a, you're phobic. You're yeah. you're a racist. You're a whatever that would be. You're not Correct. racist, but you know those issues are so visceral that that to touch them is to invite. I, I literally read Romans chapter one. Had people stand up and walk out of the service mm-hmm. just because I read the Bible right. in, in a in a Protestant church on Sunday morning. It was so offensive that certain words were addressed. That they got up and left. That's that's a tough place to be. So so, what's your societal dysfunction? Is the problem? What's what's the hack? Stop trying to fix people. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm a pastor. My job is to fix people, isn't it? I don't think so. Yeah. I think there's a big difference between trying to fix people and and leading them or yeah. showing them compassion. Yeah. I think when people are hurting and they need our our help. Um, I think our role, Jim, is to love them, to lead them, to teach, yeah. and maybe even resource them. It's not to fix them. Right. I think when we try to fix people, we're usurping God's role. It's God's job to do that, not not ours. Right. And um, I've unfortunately have run into too many guys who, and I think if I run into five, that's too many, yeah. um, that their ministry is really built around trying to fix people with deep dysfunction. And wow. in the pastoral pet- ministry or the yeah. counselors? No, 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 pastoral no, no. ministry. Pastoral wow. ministry, lead pastor. So they're putting 80% of their energy into the 5% in, in, of the people to in, create 90% of the problems. You, you got it. And yeah. so you think about that recipe for a minute. Yeah. What does that come out to? A frustrated leader. Sure. Uh, a stressed out leader. And, you know, I think if that's what you're doing, you're going to struggle to get around to the other components of your assignment. Right. Which are you know our, our vision development and stra- uh, strategy, Boy, that's huge. Uh, planning. I, you know, I see that all like the time that. as well. It's it's that I put all of my time into what I call emotional black holes. People who will never be satisfied with any ministry you give them, that eventually leave the church, go to the next place, and tell the pastor, "No one over there helped me. No one over there that's loved right. me. No one over everywhere there judged me." And they, they make a process of going from church to church to church. Like you can. Yeah. So what do you do with that person then? I mean, there is a need. They they are in your congregation. You are their pastor. What sure. do you do with them? Uh, I think there are so many great resources we can we can uh, direct people to. Yeah, I mean there there are counseling resources. That's, there's a lot yeah. of free counseling resources. There's there's all kinds of of ancillary yeah. ministries that um, we can help people that do those types of things much better than we 
yeah. could ever do. That's what I tell my congregation. Uh, if, if you have a, a serious marriage issue and you bring your last ounce of hope to me, someone who's not a trained marriage counselor, what you're doing is saying, I have a brain tumor the size of a softball in my skull. And I'm coming to my, my family physician for help. You're, right. you're wasting a day talking to me. I'm going to direct you because I love you to someone who I really think can help you. So I'm going to send you to the best marriage counselor I know. And they say, well, that costs $75 an hour. I'm like, and your lawyer costs $125 an hour. And that's where you're heading. Right. And by, by admitting I can't help you, I'm not the best person to invest in you right now. It frees me up. I give them an assignment. It's on them now to, to, to pursue help. I can follow up with a phone call. I can introduce them to a counselor, but now really it's up to them whether or not they decide to get healthy. Absolutely. Yeah. This number four one I'm, I'm looking at here, the pressure of raising and maintaining a church budget. Talking about money is hard. It's, it's been done so poorly yes. that as soon as we say money in the church, people go, oh, okay, all the church wants is your money. You right. Know? So, so just describe that in your words. What is the pressure of raising and maintaining a church budget? So, Jim, when I was a lead pastor, the church I led was financially sound, but oddly enough, I still felt money pressure. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Yeah. You know, that it, it, we were doing well, but I felt the pressure of that. And when a family would decide their season with us was over, I would, I would tend to fret about yeah. how we were going to replace the math. <laughs> their giving. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I felt that weight. I felt the weight of responsibility. Yeah. Uh, for the just the financial well-being of the organization. It's funny, as, as people walk in that are generous in your congregation, you don't know them for a while. But people who've been generous for a long time that are leaving, you, you do know them. That's and right. it's always a negative number. Anytime somebody leaves, mathematically, it's, it's negative. So, so what's your hack here? How would we deal with that? So this hack, again, might seem counterintuitive, but it's the one word. It's remember. Hmm. And, yeah. by, and by that, I mean um, remember the past instances where God met your needs financially, uh, yeah. both personally and corporately. I'm a big uh, believer in writing things like that in a journal somewhere yeah. and rehearsing that um, in, in any way that I can, remembering the ways that he has come through for me and then, and then remembering right. that he never changes. Yeah. You know, he, he might make me wait, yeah. but he, he will deliver the goods. And so the, the Bible is full of admonitions to remember. Right. And yeah. I think it's a powerful hack, a powerful cheat code for dealing with financial stress uh, yeah. in, in a church. I think faith is important here, right? Yes. You have to, and you're saying looking at the past, the faithfulness of God gives me trust in a faithful God. That's right. And uh, I heard somebody say years ago that fear knocked at my door, faith answered, and there was no one there. I, yeah. I think that's a great way to picture it as like the, the what if questions being answered with every negative piece of information you can have instead of the what if question being answered with faith and a God who provides. Right. Yeah. And then the last one, the last one here. So the fifth one, the fifth stressor is sensitivity. Yeah. And I think we said this before that pastoral ministry is extremely personal. Yeah. And so if you're a sensitive guy and a people pleaser, <laughs> look <Play>. out. <laughs> yeah. Pastoring carries the potential to eat you alive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think of all the stressors, Jim, that we talked about today, this one proved most troublesome for me uh, as a lead pastor. I, yeah. I, I, I was such a sensitive person, and every negative word or a negative behavior, I would, inter I would internalize and think, yeah. what's wrong? Did I do something wrong? I, sh I should have done that better. Yeah. I'm a loser. You know, I, I didn't know how to yeah. talk to myself very well back then. Right. Um, but this one was a big deal, a big, uh, big stress for me. Absolutely. So what do you do about it? Uh, I think this one is uh, a little more conceptual mm -hmm. than, than practical. It's getting in touch with my real identity. Yeah. And that takes time. 
you know, the more we learn to pastor from our identity instead of for our identity, the better prepared we are to deal with the personal side of ministry leadership. Jim, I think I say this to myself often and also to my clients quite often. Your ministry is not your identity. Your identity is rooted in your adoption. You know, Paul wrote in Ephesians, he said that in love God predestined us to be adopted as sons. And I love this Mm. part, in accordance with his pleasure. Yeah, right. Right. And so he links our identity to our adoption yeah. uh, into Father God's family. So leading from your identity as an adopted child of God, just it tempers everything, right? Right. It tempers your enthusiasm when people arrive yeah. and when they behave well, and it lessens the sting when they don't. Right, right. I, I think that's so important, uh, just to be stable, you know, in, in, yeah. emotionally, spiritually stable, and, and saying, I am not what I do, I, I am right. what he has done for me, is a, is a far more stable place to live your life from. It's such a struggle, though, isn't it, for us? You know, it's that... counterintuitive. I think the devil tries to, you know, make sure we, you know, he's, he's the condemner, he's the accuser, he's, you know, and the Holy Spirit's the comforter and the paraclete and the counselor. They're, they're diametrically opposed, and it comes down to whose voice you're going to believe in any given circumstance. That's right. And it's hard. Well, you know, when, you, when you just lost the game, it's hard to believe you're on a winning team. Yeah. You know, and there's going to be times we win and times we don't win, and and we just got to hold on to it. whether I win or lose. I'm, I belong to him, you know. So I hope you, you find these uh, these useful. Everybody that's listening, because these are these are just good reminders. Maybe just take one and you put it on your whiteboard or your blackboard or a sticky note on your dashboard. But until this until this becomes your reflex, it's just information. So get get this get these five hacks. Put them in places. Um, put them in your Bible. Put them, you know, next to the the sink on the mirror, and just get these things deep in your heart, so that when when these things happen, and they will happen, right. this information, this truth is there waiting for you. And our in our, our next upcoming uh, uh, podcast, you're going to be talking about pursuing uncommitted people. So, I, and I, I'm not a, I'm not going to give the rest of the title for it, but I want you to do it. So. Uh, pursuing uncommitted people dot 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 and why you shouldn't and why you shouldn't <laughs> Jim one of the biggest mistakes I made as a young pastor was spending too much time trying to get uncommitted people committed yeah and in, when I did that I largely ignored the people who were committed who were on board who yeah. were rowing in the same direction and I, and I realized something I don't know when I figured this out I think it was after I was uh, out of that role that it's a losing strategy to spend more time with problem people than with promising people. So we're going to look at three reasons why we get pulled down that unhealthy path and what we can do about it. Right on. I'm looking forward to that. And I hope you are too. Uh, Until next time, this is uh, just a wonderful uh, excuse, a wonderful reason to grab a cup of coffee. This is uh, an opportunity just to learn how to lead from alignment with uh, coach, author, all-around leadership guru, John Opaluski. And we hope that we'll... I'll talk to you again very soon.